We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. plans that kept you from watching the game yesterday from the 40th minute on, this is going to be a very confusing podcast. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Alex Smith, the Buckman Twitter, Yank Gunner. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yesterday was Easter, so maybe, you know, around 40 minutes, 2-0 up. You thought, well, you know, Anfield away, 2-0 up, easy peasy, it's all done. I'll go uh, tend to my Easter plans. And if that's what you did, um, this is going to get a little confusing for you because from that point on, things went a little bit differently than maybe the 40 minutes you had watched. Um, all kidding aside, it, it was a pulsating game. It was a great game for the neutrals, but everybody hates the neutral. Like that is easily the worst person in football, whoever that person is. Um, it, the game was good enough that the linesman elbowing Andy Robertson in the head is not the main talking point following the match. Um there's just so much to unpack. And it's also one of those tough games because it has big moments, but it also has big narrative, right? Uh, narrative about referees or narrative about Shaka or narrative about this, that, or the other thing. And and then there's there's big substitution decisions. It's, it's a really robust game for discussion. And then, of course, I think the biggest question is good point or bad point. Um, you know, we're not going to know that obviously, until the end of May. But right now, I think it's a really interesting question to ask. And so I think we'll have a chance in this episode to really get caught up in the excitement of how well we played early on, to really interrogate what happened to that momentum and where it went and how it got broken down, and then try to unpack where this leaves us. Um, not mathematically, but just in terms of psychologically and, and the sense of whether it's a good point or not. Um, I'm not going to do the whole fundraiser thing again. We'll be doing it all month so you can give. We're over our second goal. We're on to a third goal. Thank you for doing it. The only two things I do want to mention, because I, I need to at least let you know, if you had any plans to bid on the auction items, the tickets that are available, that auction is going to close tomorrow, Tuesday, April 11th. So I did just want to get that message out there. And one other thing, because this is important, a very generous individual donor has just offered to donate up to $20,000 matching 
every dollar of the next $20,000 that comes in, every pound. So if for some reason you're like, ah, I wasn't sure I was going to give, maybe I'll give. If you give five, you're giving 10. If you give 10, you're giving 20. So just, you know, real quick, we want to talk about the game. It's a big game. It's a big day to talk about the football, but I thought those were important things to get out of the way. So um, here with me now to discuss a really uh, rich text is Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Pause My Pants. Hello, Pause. Woohoo. And Clive, you can find him on Twitter at Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Hello, hello, indeed. Um, yeah, there's so much here. Let me do this, Clive. Let me turn it over to you for a bit of a uh, a bit of an amuse bouche, so to speak. Because before we get into all the little moments, all the little narratives, all the little talking points, <laughs> I just want to get your sense of tactically how this played out. Because I think it is very sort of confusing to me obviously to a simpleton like me to others it may not be confusing to me how this played out and one of the really interesting things that i saw um lewis tweeted something out and then he has a, a wonderful Substack, uh not that you'd know it on twitter which is another discussion for another time where he pointed out three periods in the game um uh, three periods in the second half and that middle period after the penalty miss where actually we were fairly even in Liverpool had gone to sleep and then their final push. So can you give me just your overall tactical perspective on how this game played out? And then maybe we can wind back and go moment by moment through some of the, the key, uh, the key sections of the game. Yeah. So always walk into a game with your own luggage and scars. And I walked into a game thinking like every time we go to Anfield, I think we're going to win. And then the game starts. Now I remember that it's Anfield and it becomes a competition. And I, I was interested in how Liverpool set up. Obviously, Klopp has wondered about his own structure and dropping Trent inside was his little tactical trick for the day. And I thought, this is brilliant because they're now adjusting to us. It's, it's a real indicator that we're, that we're improving. So we look like Arsenal straight away, more or less, and we play our game. And so I was quite encouraged by that because with Liverpool, I'm always looking where the back line is. Our backline versus their backline. Can we control territory? How are we controlling territory? So in our pre-pod chat, I was really focused on the second ball and controlling the second ball. So getting to three passes after you win the ball back, and you can see second half, we didn't do that very well. right? So that's when the game went away from us. So second balls were key for us in this game. But we play our football, we get in. First goal was just us going down the middle, like the, you know, literally like the red arrow, straight down the middle, bang. What have you got? You can close your eyes, open your eyes, guess which five people are in the box. We know which five it is. It's our front five, our five lanes all covered. We zero in, we get the goal. A nice finish. And then I think we're fine. We're just playing our football again. And then they knock off after a free kick, clip down the left-hand side, and we get the second goal. It, the second goal was almost too easy. And I think that had an effect on me, put an effect on a lot of people. Because we thought, this is easy. I mean, they're just not even marking us. We get first phase three down the line and, and cross into the box. Two man against one, no one near him, right? And I think we go a little bit, we go a little bit cocky after that for me. We start fizzing it around, looking really good. Mm. And then the game changes. I won't go into the momentums too much because I'm sure you're going to get onto those. And the, the momentum's changed. And, and that's all it was. It was a momentum change. They score... An average goal, very average, ping-pong round the box. And then second half, we started really well. And, and Lewis is absolutely right. There were a couple of patches where we were fine. And we and we nearly saw this off, but we didn't quite see it off. And I think 
it'd be interesting to see what you guys think about how how we played second half. For me, we didn't control the rebounds. We didn't control the second ball. We didn't control the territory. We didn't have an exit plan, consistent one. We couldn't control the referee. We couldn't control the collisions. So what we decided to do was control our box. And we made substitutions on that basis to control our box and say, you know what, this isn't our day. Let's do a, a Villa away last season. We've seen the holding closeout game. And I think we didn't quite close it out as efficiently as we should have done with our substitutions, which I'm sure you'll get to. But I didn't mind what we tried to do because it's, it's what we do. But we just didn't quite commit to it. We sort of left Sinchenko on maybe. And if we'd have committed to that and we got done this, I'd say, well, that's Arsenal. That's what we do when we're away from home. It's not our day. Um, so for me, I felt when we get into the tactical side of things earlier, I think we lost our two superstars out wide. And if you look at the past combinations to from Odegaard to Saka and from Shaka to Martinelli, it's not enough. It's not enough connectivity because they were being stressed defensively. And that's the byproduct of Liverpool doing well. You know, and so we've lost that connection to our 21-year-olds. I think we lost a lot of our danger, and so we settled. But hey, that's, that's football. And maybe I'm somebody that's been seen this many, many times before at Liverpool, many, many times. So I look at this game with different eyes. I don't look at it with this season's eyes alone. I was talking to Andrew earlier, and then we were on message. I said, four points from six Liverpool. I'll take that all day long. The context of the yeah. game means we all land in different places when the game's this emotional and that's absolutely fine. Yeah, um just statistically uh, FB I'll use FB ref stats just cuz they're up in front of me right now. Uh they have this 3.9 to 1.4 to Liverpool. The 3.9 is essentially double the expected goals allowed of our worst game of the season. So this is double anything we've given up. And it it is such a difficult game to analyze because what, here's, here's my basic quick emotional overview of it. When you are 2-0 up against a team that you know can be good and still has talent, but as they sit are you know miles and miles, 30 points back of you in the table, a team that you have a chance to reverse a lot of bad history over that you've beaten once already that season, and you are the champions elect. You are the team that believes you are going to go be champions. When you have a two-goal lead, you know you feel you should go on and win. And in fact, I, I'd go f- further and to say, anytime you're two nil up in any football match, if you fail to win it, it's a disappointment. Of course, it is. You should convert two nil leads to wins. Just ask Liverpool against Real Madrid at home. Right? I mean, you should you should probably not turn those into whatever that was five, five two loss or whatever they did. Um, and I think, given that, I feel that Liverpool have this soft underbelly defensively now. When we went two nil up, my belief was this makes the game that much easier for us because the more they push and the more they try to come to us, the more of that space we can exploit. And so there's deep, deep frustration to not see that game out. And I really believe this. If we get to halftime at 2-0, we win the game. And we'll talk a little bit about what changed the game. Because in the moment, I will admit I was as frustrated with Shaka as anybody. In retrospect, I feel the goal more than the Shaka moment is the is the turning point. Um it's we all have a little bit of history with Shaka, and when he gets wound up a little bit, I think our our inclination, our our bias, our prejudice is oh, granted, 
But in retrospect, I, I don't feel that's right. And we can dig into that a little more. But after being 2-0 up, yes, you, you expect to win. But then watching the deluge we faced and the chances they had and the way it could have gone, we escaped. And then you've got the Martinelli pass to Saka late, you know, to win it. And you're thinking we should win that. Or the rasping Tierney shot where he just has to slide it over to Martinelli. So it is such a difficult game because the opportunities to win it were evident. The opportunities to lose it were multiple. And in the end, we have the points. In a game that we conceded more expected goals against, double the expected goals against we've done all season. So that's why I find it so hard to break down. And that's where I am emotionally. I was gutted, gutted at full time, knowing the size of the prize of three points at Anfield in the history Today, I feel it may be a useful point. And Paul, you can't get to gutted without getting to euphoria. And we got to euphoria through a two-goal lead. And I want to discuss that period. Now, it wasn't all one-way traffic. They had some chances. But really, you could see that we had the beating of them. We had the beating of them. Um, right from the off, really. And it was kind of predictable, wasn't it? It was Martinelli beating Trent up that side. And they couldn't live with it. And then... The, the player that maybe wasn't as in the game as much in Saka is, is key in that first goal, right? He, he takes the ball the way we've wanted to take the ball uh, all season long. He cuts inside, gets the ball drifting inside, carries it all the way up the pitch, slides it to Martin Odegaard, more on him a bit later. We get a bit lucky. Martinelli stabs it home. Martinelli again for the second with what looks like way too easy, but there's about 40 passes before that from the back. What's your take on the that initial period where we took the 2-0 lead in terms of how we were able to exploit them and, and, and maybe should have even exploited them a bit more? Uh, I think Liverpool played with a lot of respect for our team. Mm. Um, in a sense, both goals felt slightly easy from the Liverpool side, if you like. Very respectful of us, keeping their sh shape and then suddenly getting done on the counter um and the game in in one sense the game hadn't really kicked off on their side our, from our side we were ruthless um two goals that it almost felt like we scored with every chance we had um wasn't quite like that um martinelli the first thing he did is go down uh trent's side uh, I think that was like a minute into the game. He goes down, uh, does his signature run along the, the byline into the box. He, he's gutted that the ball doesn't bounce a little better for us because that was, that was a chance that could have been put away. Yeah, it um, goes for a corner, right? But there was yeah. a little, little bit of uh, ping pong in the box after he cut to the byline, yeah. Yeah, and it, it could have gone anywhere and anybody could have put it away kind of thing. We, we had the bodies in the box. And from that moment, I'm like, Oh yeah, okay. We we we're going to get at these guys, and it was kind of a a cagey from their side performance, and from our side, we the chances we got, we went through them, and you just the shape was there, the way we played, the connectivity. We didn't have a huge number of shots. Uh, we probably had, you know, two, three, four shots maybe, and scored from two of them. Um, and it just felt like, oh man, we have them at our mercy. We absolutely have these guys. Um, and like, 
we got a good 39 minutes out of just, it was absolutely masterful. I, I think we, it felt like we kind of pick our, picked our moments. Of course, we would have picked moments if it was that easy. Um, it was just going so well. The shape, the players finding each other. I mean, 39 minutes of just lovely football, perfect. Our football, our shape, them adapting to us, them having to show us respect. Uh, yeah, it was great. And and just quickly, Paul, like the they had chances, by the way. I, I, sure. It is tough because there's a temptation when you're 2-0 up to just act like you were the only team in the game, and, and we weren't. It was a bit more back and forth. But I think the thing that was really encouraging for me was the way we were finding the the the, pl the places to exploit them that we would have expected, right? Martinelli was finding his space, uh, Saka was finding some space, and and Robertson in particular was getting really really frustrated. He got beaten once and was getting frustrated. I think, it, yeah, he's he's talked about uh, I think Saka being the toughest attacker he's played uh, in recent times, and like he just absolutely had him on toast. And Martinelli had, you know. Trent and everything on toast on that side. Gabriel and Jesus. I mean, if you look at the two goals, the rotation on the for the second on the first goal, the second goal, like it's Martinelli through the middle for the first goal. It's Martinelli off the wing after uh, Jesus has has swung the ball for the second. Um, it's. The, the decision to play those three up front rather than Trossard, um, who absolutely deserve to start, but like our high and wide wingers stretching the pitch and everything that Jesus did to them, dropping in, connecting it, uh, that, that aspect of the game just absolutely worked. That was spot the, on. Yeah. The thing I was struck by is it was sort of like watching us play Liverpool football better than they could. Because our press was killing them. They were having trouble getting around it. Their press looked like, I mean, they looked a little bit like the team that went to Stamford Bridge in that they just, they didn't have quite the intensity and quite the organization to keep the ball in our defensive third. We were able to get out and get around. Um, and then there's this moment, and Clive, this is where it, it is tough because watching that game is one of the most stressful 90 minutes I've had in a very, very long time. And when you're that wound up, and you want something that bad, your analytical senses are not at their best, right? It's not easy to be deeply analytical in a very emotional environment. Granite Jacket gets kicked by Kanate a few times. He doesn't get the call. To be fair, well, I don't think the referee is the story of the game. I think they got a very home pitch series of calls in that game in general. You know, White gets a White gets a yellow, which maybe he deserves, frankly, the way he goes through it. But there's a couple of Liverpool, similar Liverpool tackles that don't get punished in the same way. So the consistency issue was there. But but really, he should get the foul from Kanate. He doesn't. It's frustrating. We know that when Shaka doesn't feel something's just, he gets frustrated. But then Trent also goes through the back of him. And he reacts. In the moment, I think the reason it upset me so much is the game felt dead. Anfield had gone quiet. And I couldn't help but think back to the game. Was it one just one season ago, maybe, or two, one? Where Mikel got into it with Klopp at a time when it felt like Anfield was kind of subdued. Now, in that game, I don't think we were the better team. In this game, we were. And so I, your brain draws lines, right? Draws lines between things. It says, we were on top. 
Then Shaka got involved. Then they got a goal. Then everything changed. And so you say, oh, Shaka changed the game. Having more distance from it, I'm able to see that moment doesn't necessitate us conceding, nor does it lift Anfield. Maybe it does put a little extra fire in the belly of the Liverpool players who needed a lift because I I think the life had been sucked out of them. But I don't know, Clive. Like, Do you think now with a day to have cogitated on it a bit, that the the emphasis on the Shaka moment is maybe a little too much and that it's actually the goal that comes after that that, that changes the game. Yeah, if anything, the, the incident woke up Trent rather than woke up the crowd because just mm. before that period of time, he was getting booed for a poor header. He was getting embarrassed and they were getting embarrassed. And I think the shame that was coming their way, they thought, we can't have this, we've got to do something. And from that moment on, Trent and Canate and Henderson stepped up their games significantly on that right-hand side. And it was a challenge for us. And we needed something else to happen on our right-hand side to, to flip the balance over. And I, don't, I think we failed in our offensive approach. I think Liverpool smartly got into us and pushed their line up, went long, second ball, kept us there, gambled that we wouldn't be able to get out. And the gamble paid off. We didn't we didn't execute our counter attacks we could have done. We didn't get our first two passes in. And we woke up players in their team that were dying. They were literally dying on the pitch. And they were reawoken and reputations were restored. You know? I had a concern going into this game. I had a concern if we lost it, what would happen to the Arsenal fans? I had a concern if we won it, what would we be like? We'd be uncontrollable with excitement. You know? And I'd be okay finding out just between us. I, 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 I understand. I'll take I, it, you know. I, it, the rhythm of a football season, this was one of the games that was there was going to be an impact to us all emotionally on the back of this game. There was going to be, without a doubt, whether negative or positive, it was going to be extreme. And the extremities of reactions that could have happened either way, I, I was concerned about. In a strange way, we are able, both clubs were able to restore their reputations. Liverpool remind everybody they can be Liverpool again, right? And Arsenal remind everybody that this Arsenal team is really, really good. And we weren't quite the bottlers of last season because we didn't lose the game. This is why it is so incredibly important we didn't lose this game because we have an element of control. We have an element of lessons learned and we've got a couple more hot places to go. You know, and I yeah. think it's really important that we go through this with our... With, could you imagine a conversation today if we got beat 4-2 or something like that? Could you imagine it? It would be absolutely almost impossible to recover from. It, it would be, honestly. Can I just say one be. thing on that? Yeah. I, this is where... So I have to admit, I find this game really, really hard because I could not agree with you more. And yet, we are very, <clears throat> very, very fortunate today that this wasn't 5-3 or 6-4, or 5-2. So on the one hand, like if they had gotten it back to 2-2 and we shut it down and locked it up and got a draw and we say, you know what, we closed the door and we decided to shut it down, I'd be like, okay, you know what? Maybe that was the practical decision. It is harder for me to say good on us for getting a draw in a game where we just got slammed with eight big chances for Liverpool in this game. So some of it is definitely a credit to us. And by the way, the first 40 minutes, definitely a credit to us. But the fact that we didn't lose this game feels 
like good fortune, and by the way, you need good fortune in a title winning season, but it's hard for me to give us too much credit for defending that 2-2. I can give us all the credit in the world for getting it to 2-0. I struggle a little bit to to credit us with defending the 2-2 because it's all on one guy, and that's Aaron Ramsdale, who is who went supernova to keep this a draw, you know? I think uh, I'm not giving them credit for the how the game happened. I'm giving them credit mm. for the result. We got the result, oh, yeah. and the circumstances yeah. were mm-hmm. not. They were not, you know, they were not rosy. They were not rosy, and but that's the game. And I, I, I was so excited by this game. That's the game. If we knew what was going to happen, when you're sitting there, that ball's going to the top corner. You're thinking, here we go, here we go. I've seen this before. And then the goalkeeper with super fast feet leaps out of the leaps off the ground and tips around. This is what we want. This is what it's all about, right? So, mm. it's, football is not linear. It is not. It is not. We are never going to win 16 games on the trot. Well, what are we talking about here? We have to grow up a little bit sometimes. I recognize there are other teams too. They played well in that second half. It wasn't pretty. Who cares? You know, it's about us competing. I thought we competed really, really well. Even on the last chance when Canate stooped, it was Tierney sweeping in that made Canate think, I can't put my head down there. And that's what made him chest it. That's what gave Ramsdale the, the chance. So Tierney's on that pitch. They head that in on the back on the back post. These are the small details that you need to get the, to get the result that you want. It wasn't beautiful. I'm not going to sit here and say we were Brazil 82 in the second half because we weren't. Hmm. But we were Brazil 82 in the first half for small periods and it was brilliant. And if you look and tell me the last time we played that well on their ground for that length of period... I am here. So you have to recognize both sides of it. it. We really do. I totally agree. It's hard for me because I think we are not just better than Liverpool. I think we're dramatically, dominantly better than Liverpool. I think our position in the table proves we're better because we've been the best team in the league or certainly right there with City as the best team in the league all season. We've been brilliant. And it shows you that football is just not only about skill and talent and form. It is about the six inches between your ears because Liverpool have not mustered that much expected goals in any game this season. And they won 9-0 over Bournemouth and they won 7-0 over United and they didn't have this much expected goals in those games. And we haven't allowed as much as half that this season. And the only way I can explain that is just the size of the moment sort of swallowing us up a little bit. Um, And so, yeah, it, it... I think, Paul, like, it, it, this is where I, I want to um, roll back to, to Lewis's stat because I think it's important, but there's no way that Liverpool team is good enough to dominate this Arsenal team, but they did for periods in that second half. And so, you know, it, I think it is also natural with the scars, the psychic wounds that we have from last season of what happened at, at Tottenham and what happened at St. James Park. We want to see that this team can stand up to the big emotional, psychological moments of this run-in. Because we know, like I, I said it on Twitter, I have absolutely no doubt in the quality of this team. This team is quality enough to win this title. Now we have to see if we have the courage and the um, resolve to win it, right? When when the, when the pressure really gets ramped up. And to be fair to this team, when the pressure's been ramped up, Almost in every moment this season, they've responded and showed that they can handle it. They are still the youngest team in the league, though. Um, so this is where I want to go to Lewis's uh, to Lewis's stat because the second half to me felt like a deluge. But actually, from halftime to fifty-eight minutes, they had twenty-five final third passes to our fourteen. 
six shots to R1. From 58 minutes to 80 minutes, yep. the final third passes were, were pretty close, 29 to 20. They had no shots to R1. We had kind of taken the sting out of the game. And then the substitution. And from there, they have 29 final third passes to R6. This is the last 10 minutes of the game. And seven shots to R2. And so I want to sort of move through the the big moments that come out of halftime. But before I do that, I'll just give you a swing at this. With a day to have thought about it, because I know you you kind of went into the Shaka component of a bit more. I think we we're all feeling that yesterday. Today, um, I think the if we again, I can't say it any clearer than this. If we don't concede before halftime, I don't think we lose this game. Uh, drop draw this game, lose the points. Um, I, I think that gave them something to hold on to to avoid what would have been a pretty dreary trudge off the pitch at halftime the way that half had gone. And and I think that carried them into the second half. Yeah, I think that's right. Look, um, I think it would have been a really good idea if we didn't get them fired up on 39 minutes. But it wasn't really that much at the end of the day. Uh, I think he should have walked away from it. I think, but like it could have been any player, it could have been any tackle. What that tells you is the crowd was looking for the moment to get ignited, right? It should have been Robertson clattering into somebody or it should have been them who took the initiative. Uh, they should have just absolutely smacked somebody and taken the card to get it fired up. Um, but they didn't, and we kind of lit the touch paper for them. Without you know, When you think of some of the challenges that they got away with in the second half, where we didn't overreact, the, the challenge from Kanate on Xhaka is really early on in the second half, uh, which in many, you know, there was a time those tackles were no problem fine um and you could debate that one but like that was one that jack or anybody else could have got fired up there were plenty of other moments we could have got fired up and i'll give them all a lot of credit they stuck to staying in the game staying in the moment like there was none these guys didn't get rattled you, you might say i wish we'd play better in the second half i wish we'd strung it together i wish we'd had possession i wish we'd used our possession more but the professionalism of the performance, the focus in the second half was excellent. Um, you, you still got to say, well, hey, we kind of got battered on the metrics, but and they had lots of choices. But in the second half, you're looking like if you watch that game as the first game of this season after last season when they were in four competitions you look at that Liverpool and say, well, they didn't take all their chances, but like they're right at it again. Their second yeah. half was primo Liverpool at Anfield. Even this season, Liverpool are the second best team in the league at home. They have a slightly, uh, uh, based on the underlying metrics, right? The advanced metrics, your XGs, uh, everything you want to look at there, a mix of XG and actual goals, etc. Liverpool are the second best home team in the league after Manchester City. They beat and Man City at home. They beat United 7-0. Yeah, they can I mean they can yeah. blow you off the pitch there. You know, on it's still on any day. And oh, by the way, Salah, Nunez, 
Gakpo, Firmino, Alexander-Arnold, Thiago, of course, makes his return in this game, which as much as our sub mattered, I don't think there's as enough focus on that sub mattering for them. So like, yeah. there's a hell of a lot of quality, especially attacking quality, that finished that game on the pitch for Liverpool. You know? Yeah, and when they get front-loaded as they did in the second half, it doesn't matter than, that Henderson doesn't have quite the same legs he had one or two or three seasons ago, once they get the Liverpool press going, once they start breaking you down, uh, it doesn't matter that Henderson can't run 60 yards time and time again. He's only running 10 or 15 yards. And you got, uh, like, where was all our pain coming from? The right-hand side, Henderson, Salah, and Trent Alexander-Arnold that we have seen as a combination working in much smaller spaces with us pushed back, us not able. It doesn't matter that it's not last year or the year before. Once they got that pressure on, I think Kanate was probably their man of the match because in many ways- really good. Oh. Yeah, and he covered over- he, They used him to wind up being the, the guy to cover the runs Martinelli made so that Trent could- operate in the zones where he's more effective. Yeah, and he was the guy who kept that pressure on that allowed those three players to play like they have for the last five seasons, that it didn't matter that this wasn't the same Liverpool. It was the same Liverpool in the second half because Kanate was an... He was basically their Van Dyke in this game because Van Dyke ain't back to those levels yet. But that that's the side that killed us in the second yeah. half. Alexander-Arnold had the license to do his stuff because Kanate was, like, he was excellent. He was the guy who kept the lid on it and kept them, that whole right-hand side was basically Liverpool of the last three or four seasons. And the one critique I have of our guys, and I fully understand it, like, they were winning the first balls, they were winning the second balls. When we got the ball, and there were periods where we started to get hold of the ball and started to play, we had a lot of cheap last balls into the final third from uh, I started listing them at one stage, you know, everybody had a go at giving the ball away cheaply when we probably should have made one more pass out to sack instead of going direct in behind or Zinchenko sit on it. And stuff. there were a couple of moments of play in the second half where I'm like, Oh yeah, we're starting to knock it around Zinchenko party. I thought party was excellent for us. He didn't have a brilliant game because Nobody could have had a brilliant game when the rest aren't. But actually, I thought it was really big in the second half. Yeah, he came into the game a, a lot. Yeah, and like <laughs> it didn't fully pay off. And I understand why we kept Zinchenko on so long, even though I wanted him off. Like Arteta's thinking, if we, you can't just keep hitting them on the counter and then have it come straight back to you and you got five minutes in your box. But we, when we got the ball, that that one pass that gets you into the final third and we keep some possession. I actually think that was a big piece of why we got into trouble. Party g- himself gave it away a couple of times. Odegaard, Martinelli, White, uh, Saka, just with the cheap, too quick pass into the back, when it, it, into the attacking third, when, when nobody was really quite in place. Yeah. And, and, it, and so the pressure comes back to you again and again and played into what... Li- but I understand it in that that's what Liverpool has historically done to teams. By the time you get the ball, you're kind of like, oh, we should we should go for it now because we may not see daylight for another five minutes. Yeah, but you do sort of have to play the game that's available to you. And I, if I if I have any misgiving about the second half, maybe it's that we didn't take more advantage of the counterattacking opportunities that we did have. I mean, obviously everyone's going to point to the Martinelli one late, but like, look how stretched that game did get. 
And we did have opportunities. You know, we did have opportunities in the second half. And, you know, everything that I think I referenced it already, but like Tierney's rasping shot, just slide it to Martinelli. Martinelli just played the pass a little earlier. And I know he's shattered at that point, right? And it's just like all he has to even try to get the ball to Saka. But if he gets the ball to Saka there, to Saka around Allison, Allison did some phenomenal sweeper keepering in the second half, if I can turn that into a verb. But so if we can keep the ball, yeah, you know, we, we could have shown more quality in the game that they were giving us in terms of being able to, to leverage those, those transition moments, Paul. Yeah. I guess to explain my point. If you're going to keep Zinchenko on the pitch that long and you're Arteta, well, <laughs> well but hang on, right. Mm. The alternatives is to say, okay, we're just going to sit back and take body shots for 45 minutes, right? And okay, you might be thinking, well, okay, but take them after 60 minutes or 70 minutes. But like the logic of keeping Zinchenko on the pitch is we're going to try and get hold of the ball. And between him and party, we're going to try and hold on. It's not just about counterattacking. If you're going to counterattack, then get Zinchenko off, get, you know, who shake it up a little bit, bring on Tierney if you want to do that so you have attack and defense. Um, but we kept him on, but we didn't hold the ball when we got it. We did get the ball. We did have times we got it into the middle and then into the attacking third, but like six, seven times, and that's a lot in a second half when you're not seeing the ball that much. Those are the kinds of things where you say, well, what's the difference between that and another game in which we do spend time in possession, in the middle, in the attacking third? And for me, it was as soon as we got to the attacking third, we prematurely, I don't know what the word that should follow after that, but we prematurely gave the ball away too quickly. In the, there were the times we counterattacked well, and, but way too many, six, seven times, which is a lot, where we went too direct to a player who wasn't in position to take advantage. A player who wasn't even there, like yeah. quite up the right-hand side. He'd never do that. Saka wasn't in the position to get the ball. It's, it was almost like kicking the ball away. And, you know, six or seven's a lot when you're changing, especially when you talk about how much we had momentum for a section in this game. Our lives could have been so much simpler. On the other hand, we stayed very cool defensively. And it's... That's a growing thing where you make that adjustment from we're, we're under the cosh, now we got the ball, now we transition into the middle, now we hold on to it in the, ta- the attacking third rather than going straight at them when it's not on. Yeah, well, and we did, we already called it out, we did have that middle period of the second half after the penalty where we did start to take the sting out of the game, but, but Clive, I don't know if it's something Liverpool did or, or a failure that we had of quality the Shaka Odegaard portion of our midfield did not influence this game the way I thought. I believed that the story of this game, going into this game, would be that their midfield couldn't live with our midfield. Um, and that wasn't the story of the game by the end, in part because Odegaard and Shaka in particular really struggled to influence it. I don't know the last time Martin Odegaard has had 28 passes in a game. He was our eighth, am I right about that? Eighth top passer. Yeah. We could not connect to him or he could not connect to us, one or the other. And I really believe that that the midfield battle that I presumed we would win, especially in the second half, we didn't. And it's hard not to look at the guy wearing the captain's armband. When your captain comes off in Anfield, that's not a good sign. Um, do you have a thought on, was it tactical? Was it just an off game for, for Martin and, and in general, that midfield battle that I thought we'd win, but we we really didn't in final, you know, final adjudication there? 
Yeah, during his time at the club, he's managed to convince me that he can, he can handle these type of games. But this game, he, he didn't handle well. You know, everything was off, passing was off, timing was off. Collisions, he was, he was, you know, he was kicked about a little bit, you know, just pushed around a little bit. We just took him off his rhythm, took him off his angles. He didn't get his, he didn't get his drum beat going. Uh, and, you know, the biggest, you know, the bit, one of one, one of the most important moments of the game, actually, for me, is, was, was when um, Fabinho came off and they brought on Firmino. Because Firmino, on the 80-minute mark, whatever it was, or 78th minute, that sort of correlates perfectly to um, to Lewis's stats, right? The game changed when Firmino mm. came on. If they felt comfortable take off their holding midfielder, that tells you we were not dominating the game. That tells you the game was about penalty boxes, not about midfield anymore. And the lessons I want to learn from it is our number eight connectors were not connecting with anybody, weren't keeping the ball long enough, weren't getting free kicks on the first, on the second ball, weren't able to get into position to receive the ball so our defenders could find them on the exit in one. And we didn't have an exit plan to go bigger I thought um, Van Dijk and Canate got around Jesus and he was getting no help from the referee. So he was trying his best, but wasn't getting much help. And so we lost our exit plan. So Arteta took a decision to say, you know what? I can't get out. I need to stay in. And um, and so, yeah, thinking ahead to Liverpool and Man City now, uh, I think Man City is more of a football game, but sorry, Newcastle and Man City. Newcastle will be like this. It will be a running athletic to throw game with tall running athletes. This is a this is a issue for us really. And that Newcastle game is is the one for me. It really is. City will take care of itself. Two football teams. You have a shot, we have a shot. Let's see what happens there. Right. So but Newcastle is the one that could be quite similar to this in many, many ways. And we need Martin Odegaard to have 70 touches, not 28 passes we need that level of influence and his influence for whatever reason was not there partly this was because of our of their backline pushing up however I will say yeah from watching him he was very central early on on the press to go and press them and I don't think he he normally repositions on the right hand side a little bit and I and I didn't sense his connection to Saka as much as it should have been, and that's very important to us. It's very important we get that little rhythm going there, and when we did, and it, we, we felt really superior. I thought Jesus did a lot of Martin Odegaard's connectivity for us. I thought he was excellent, but we needed we needed someone else to step. Granite was okay in a highly stressed physical game, but Martin Odegaard was below himself, and. And we can't really, I don't want to see that. It's, it's too important. Do you know what I mean? It's too important for your team leader to fall away at this big moment. And again, we've all seen, look, if you win the league, you might play in the season. So it's not about, he's a bad player. He had a bad day. You know, and if anything... Yeah, well, what I'd yeah like, no one's saying he's a bad player. <laughs> yeah, what I'd like to see, and this is something for us to think about, I wonder what you guys think. I sometimes think there's a couple of players in the team that are absolutely transforming the team. But if they're having a bad moment, recognize it, coach, recognize it and get them out. Get them out. It's not a problem. There are other players that are ready to go, ready to come in. Get them out quickly enough. Recognize it's a bad day and 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 remove them. Don't hold on to them if it's not happening for them, you know. 
So that's the only critique I would have around the urgency. But by the way, I don't think we've ever drawn or lost a game and we've not and said <laughs> there's not been something wrong with a substitution or something like that. <laughs> it's just a, it's a natural place where we go as fans, right? Yeah, well, we got we to gotta talk about the, the substitution a little bit more. I, I, and Clive, I, I want to stay with you about this, but actually, why don't we... Uh, why don't we do this? Why don't we squeeze in some of the most important information we can provide, which is these wonderful products, uh, these wonderful people that sponsor our podcast so that we can go ahead and do things like give lots of money to charity and stuff and then uh, do more podcasts and all of that good stuff. And then we can talk about substitutions and how good they were or how potentially terrible they were. Um, but you know what I think is great? Clearly, clearly great is when you get your body feeling good. And the way you get your body feeling good is by taking AG1 from Athletic Greens because it's filled with 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, superfood, whole food source, superfoods, adaptions, probiotics. Um, so I gave AG1 a try because I had gut health issues and I had a friend who was using it for similar reasons. And, and that was how I initially found out about it. I have to tell you that I had the shelf full of gummies, right? The vitamin gummies, the probiotic gummies, all that stuff. You turn it around, you look in the ingredient list and sugar is like the first or second ingredient. So it, it just made sense to switch to something that felt healthier, that felt better sourced. Um, and I did that. And I take AG1 before my day gets started in the water, in the water bottle, drink it down. And I, I do feel like it's great for energy because I was drinking way more coffee than I should. You can probably tell that about me, but frankly, like I still drink coffee. I love coffee, but now I, I have the ability to not just be drinking it throughout the day, which was making me feel a little bit jittery. Uh, I like that it is a uh, keto friendly, paleo friendly, sugar free, uh, vegan, dairy free, right? Uh, low sugar, I should say. I think it has like one gram or something like that. I don't know. I can check that for you if you need me to. But more of the story is it's great. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then Athletic Greens is giving you a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash vision. That's athleticgreens.com slash vision. Check it out. This podcast is also sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is therapy. You know, we is it online therapy? It's just therapy, right? I mean, online is part of our life now, and so BetterHelp is therapy that's part of your life, and it gives you a chance to use therapy not just in crisis, but as maintenance, as a way to stay healthier emotionally. We understand the importance of staying healthy physically, staying healthy with our nutrition, but you have to keep your mind healthy. And, I, you know, I've been talking to a lot of people that have been going through some, some hardship and some challenges right now, you know, when they look to their friends for support or their partner for support, and those people should be there for you. But in terms of someone that can actually help you navigate it in a professional way and work through the challenges you have, therapy is the way to do it. And what you can do with uh, BetterHelp is it's a little more flexible. You don't have to get in the car, go to an office, find the person. Do they have the right specialty in your area that you need? Do you live somewhere where there's even easy access to that? Can you make the time in your day when their office is open? With BetterHelp, it's going to meet your needs, your schedule. So, um, if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a, help a try, okay? Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Now, I got to get the promo code here right, so let me make sure it's what I think it is. It is. It is uh, betterhelp.com slash vision today to get 10% off your first month. Visit betterhelp.com slash vision. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash vision. We're going to keep going here. Everybody likes the podcast, including the sponsors. So you're going to find out that the number one way to hire is with Indeed. That's right. Look, it's you know what? Wait, I got I got I got to stop. I'll come back to you Indeed. I'm an idiot. We know where to do that. Shady Rays, real quick. Uh sunglasses. Sunglasses that 
have beautiful styles, polarized lenses. They have customizable snow goggles. I love them. I love their styles. Whatever kind of sunglasses you want, give these guys a try. The frames are durable. The optics are clear. They're polarized. And here's the best part, lost and broken replacement. I'm willing to bet if you bought sunglasses in the last five years, it's because you either lost or broke the pair you had. They're going to do a lost or broken replacement. So if you lose or break your pair, even on day one, they're going to send you a brand new pair. Okay, with Shady Rays, you look and feel good. They've donated over 20 million meals to fight hunger. Uh, so we love that. If you don't love them, exchange them for uh, a new pair free within the first 30 days. So lost, replaced. Broken, replaced. Don't love them, returned. Easy. Exclusive for listeners. Shady Rays is giving out their best deal of the year. Go to ShadyRays.com. Use code ArsenalVision for 50% off two plus pairs of polarized sunglasses. 50%. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 200,000 people. ShadyRays.com. Use code ArsenalVision. And now, finally, I can do this. I can say, if you're hiring, you need Indeed. That's right. Indeed is the job site that saves you hours going on multiple job sites. Indeed has... Uh, matching, indeed matching candidates you invite to apply through Instant Match are three times more likely to apply to your job than candidates who only see it in search, according to US Indeed data. With Indeed Matching, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description. Boom, it's hiring at warp speed. Indeed does the hard work for you. Sponsor a job, they'll match you with quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your job description. Join over 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast. Indeed knows when you're growing your business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why with Indeed, you only pay for quality applications that you must have requirements. Visit Indeed.com slash BlueWire to start hiring now. Go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application price is not available for everyone you need to hire. You need to hire. Is that enough of that? Indeed. It was enough of that. Let me tell you, I love that the pod is growing, that the community is growing, that we're raising all this money, that we're doing so many good things together as a community. But we may need to tell um, Podcast Daddy that four sponsors is too many sponsors. It's too much support from, from sponsors. We need, we need to maybe tamp down on that, and I will get to work on that. So <laughs> thank you for bearing with us, Clive. Um, everybody, everybody, everybody is talking about this, this KVR substitution. And... My attitude is, let's not focus on the Kivior of it right away, although I, I have some questions about that. Here's where I feel maybe there was a timing question to be had. They've just taken off Fabinho and brought on Firmino. They want to get a goal, and they're willing to sacrifice some solidity to go try to make it happen. One minute later, we take off Odegaard for Kivior. And I just, I wish we would have taken a beat, done something, to, you know, that's when you do the tyranny for Zinchenko one. But leave Odegaard on. Let's see, without Fabinho, with Firmino on, can we, can we, we know he's got a moment of magic in him. Can we exploit that space? But my God, look at the, we almost exploited the space with a, what was it, a three-on-one that Martinelli had for Saka late in the game. I felt that sub was wrong. And, and Kim, let's be clear. Mikel Arteta forgot more in the last 30 seconds about football than I have ever known and ever will know in my life. You can be critical in hindsight of a choice a manager made without thinking you know better than them. You don't have to always be happy, clappy. Everything's good. He's smart. I'm not. Like, I just, I didn't love that sub. And I think it, it just said, we are prepared to let you heap more pressure on us. And when you've just, Clive, when you've just taken off a midfielder for an attacker, you've signaled your intent. We're going to try to push you back and get more bodies around your penalty box. When you take your midfielder off for a defender, you say, okay, we accept that. We will bunker in and just try to repel you. And I, I wish 
I, I wish we'd done the Tierney for Zinchenko swap there and maybe maybe seen what we could do with the extra midfielder on when they were really going for it. You want to have a go at me on that one? No, you I mean you just you've done your you've done your truth. Uh, what I will yes, say is, I'm let, speaking let, my let, truth exactly. Let me just try to explain what I think he was doing. Right, so mm-hmm. it's nothing to do with Kivior, really. He just went to a back five. So that's what he he done. He decided to hold out the game of a back five, and Kivior was his central defender. He'd have brought on his sleeper was fit. He'd have brought on holding into that situation. So he brought on Kivior to play the holding role in this game. Now, if he decided to do that, as I said earlier, I wish he'd have committed to it fully and brought on Tierney at the same time and go 5-3-2, front two of, of Trossard, Martinelli, your three in the middle, and you, you go from there, right? So, so, but he he didn't. He sort of, he, he sort of semi-committed to it. So you could say, you know, I can come up with another different solution. I'll give you, let me give you a solution right now. Bring on Tierney. Bring on, bring on Trossard for Odegaard, who wasn't playing well. And Trossard could play 10 really, really mm, easy. Interesting. And keep mm-hmm. the same shape, right? Keep Jesus on a little bit longer. But maybe they've got more data on Jesus than me, than me and you have. How do I wish Smith Rowe was fitter? Because he could have gone into that false line, could have played a nice little box there, and control the center of the pitch. Mm. There's so many things that we could do to, you know, when you're struggling and you're under stress and you're trying to make a decision. They made a decision to go to a five, and and they did it with the players they had. For me, they just didn't commit to it soon enough. And so, if it's you know, it, I, I want to stay away from Kivio because I don't think I know him well enough to kill him yet. You know, and I don't think that's fair. <laughs> and um, some people are ready to do that. I'm thinking, well, I don't know enough. Well, how do you know enough? You know, so um, let's, let's see him play. Let's see him settle. Um, but it's, I don't think they could do anything. He didn't. Do, he didn't do anything. It was a barricade job in the last 10 minutes. He was just part of the bodies that are blocking out the goal. You know, literally, that was One it. One pass attempted, not completed. That was his entire was on the ball he, contribution. He, he was just in the yeah. box trying to help people on spacing. This is, it, was, it was a barricade we tried to put up. right? So he was just another body to create a space in the central zone. It was a Rob Holding game, and Rob Holding was already on the pitch, and he was already doing his heading out airplanes out of the box. And him and Gabriel were exceptional at that. And he was just another body in there. So He had a phenomenal defensive header in the first half, by the way, where they floated a ball that was going to kind of just get past him, and he got his head. Yeah, through. he so did, and he got pushed in the back too, as yeah. well. And, um, yeah. and it was his sort of game. He's, he's had three games now where he's been fine. The penalty, I'm not sure you're going to talk about a penalty, Elliot, but the penalty, we I will, felt... We will, yeah. yeah. well, I'll leave that. I'll leave it on the table then. Um, yeah, so, we'll get there. Yeah, it, it, we went to a five. So I've watched Arteta do this on many occasions, and it's worked. And we've run away through the game. We don't be 10 men on sometimes. And we've had some nice one nil wins on the back of it. We didn't quite get over the line. So what we're going to do now is we're going to say, could we have done something different? What I will say is, and there is a debate to be had, is Kieran Tierney getting enough minutes on this football pitch? And and my feeling is, he's not. However, in the last game, I couldn't stop talking about 119 touch Zinchenko. So... You can't have it all, right? But again, if someone's not having the best day or or it's just starting to flag, can you make that change a little bit sooner? You know, and that's all that's the only critique I would have to try to control where the game was going. But apart from that, I'm once they make that decision, I'm I'm fine with it. Um we just didn't quite commit to it in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, at that point in the game, Paul, 
They've got Gakpo, Nunez, Salah, Firmino, and their their only midfield is Henderson and Thiago. I don't think you'd say that they have you know the the most powerful running legs left in them. Alexander Arnold, who's joining every attack, Kanate, Van Dyke, and Robertson. And I'm thinking if you put Tierney in there, you get a little more explosive up and down running, maybe a little more defending, just a little more freshness. But give us five minutes at least with them having withdrawn a midfielder for Firmino and to it's, see sorry, if mate, we can't can turn. We say put mm-hmm. Tierney in there. What did you mean? Just, just straight for Tierney? Just swap, straight, straight, straight swap. Straight okay. swap, yeah. Just to t- tighten up that side, you know, defensively, because Zinchenko on the ball, when we're on the ball, there's there's nobody better. When we're being pushed back a little bit more, and we saw this ultimately gets nutmegged and it leads to the goal, fine, it can happen to anyone. But, you know, I think we trust Tierney a little bit more that way. And, oh, by the way, if he's got to sit deep and bomb out of his hole to support an attack, that's Tierney, right? That's Tierney's game all over. I'll sit back, I can defend, I'm tenacious, and then I'll bomb out and and go join an attack. Because he, he'll run the touchline in a way that Zinchenko can't, um, and I and I love Zinchenko. But my point, Paul, is like I'd love to see this game where there's a five minute period, at least, when they've withdrawn a midfielder and we leave Odegaard. Who again? I there is no debate in my mind. Odegaard could have come off, and maybe it is for Trussard, maybe it's for Vieira. But my point is not for Kivior where we don't go to that five at the back. And, and especially given that we had kind of neutralized the game to that point, they were making that sub because they'd, they'd lost their their edge. They had no shots in that 20-minute period. So do you, I, I think the focus is on Kivior, and I do think bringing Kivior on, on there is a bit galaxy-brained, but whatever. It, he's done the back five switch late in games before. It, as Clive points out, it's usually holding, but holding was already on. Kivior is part of the group. He goes on. I get it. I'm not as upset about it being Kivior that player as it is they've withdrawn a midfielder. Let's get five minutes of seeing how we handle having the extra man in that zone, but we didn't get that opportunity. Yeah, well, what you can say is it didn't work based on results. Mm. Um, And like, here's what I think he was trying to do. He wanted to keep Zinchenko on the pitch because we don't want to spend all our time defending. Um, And so like the one area we were generating some possession, like I actually think Xhaka was pretty good in the second half. He had a couple of moments where you think, oh, this isn't a great game for him. He's got the heavy feet. Uh, you know, you need guys who are good in tight spaces. But actually, there's plenty of moments where between him and somebody else, Party, Zinchenko, Party tended to lean to the left-hand side quite often, where Zinchenko, where Xhaka was. And they did kind of get some play going that got us up the pitch. We just gave it back too cheaply. So I get the logic for him wanting to keep Zinchenko on. I get the logic for bringing on a centre-back to sit in the middle of the back three because uh, Gabriel, I think, had an outstanding game against Salah. And I think that Arteta thought it might be the equivalent of bringing on Tierney in a sense if you brought in a centre-back who, who took up that middle space and that allowed... Um, Gabriel to push a little more into the area where Salah and Trent Alexander-Arnold were starting to dominate. And I think he thought that would give him a bit of both. It would give him his 
five at the back Rob Holding type sub coming on, and it would allow Gabriel to push even more uh, over to the wing against Salah and against Alexander Arnold. It's not quite how it played out, unfortunately. Um, I mean, the, we get undone um, just after. Uh, Saka has been up the other end. Remember that great turn in the box where he takes it through two players, uh, mm. d- does the reverse. They think he's Saka's about to uh, dribble back downfield because he's on his own, and he doesn't. He does the old uh, the, the Cruyff slip. I don't know if Cruyff did a slip, but that would be what it looked like if he did between the two centre-backs, or uh, maybe it was him and Alexander-Arnold. I don't know who was over on that side. Saka's through, cuts it back, and uh, just miss, misses the player who's with him. Might have been, might actually have been Jack in the box or Trossard. Can't remember the other player, but it's like just uh, Saka's got his head in his hands because we absolutely have them at our mercy. And then shortly after that, we're, d- we're back in our box and it's Sinchenko versus Salah, or uh, far, sorry, versus Alexander Arnold. Um, I don't know if you've done a lot of nutmegs in your footballing career, Elliot. Yeah, I've, I've tried a lot. I've I've pulled a couple of them off. I've no fucking idea how that ball goes between Z- like Zinchenko has his knees together. I'm not I'm not defending him as such uh, any more than Zinch- Zinchenko defended Alexander Arnold. But I've no idea how Trent got that tw- between his legs. There's it's no. Just good, it's good fortune. Look, the one thing that I think is narrative nonsense is clearly Zinchenko was tired and had to come off because he got nutmegged by Trent. We, we did a scouting video of, of Zinchenko, Clive and I, and we saw him get nutmegged quite a lot. Like, he could have gotten nutmegged in the first minute. Do I think Tierney should have come on, for, come on for Zinchenko? Yeah, I do. Do I think the nutmeg is proof of that? <laughs> no. But to your point, Paul, like, it's it's good fortune. He gets it there. And that's that, you know? Yeah. And by the way, you we could have conceded he was del- from five other better chances yeah. than that one. You can <laughs> say he was delighted to be isolated against... Uh, Alexander-Arnold would be delighted to be isolated against Zinchenko. That was the matchup they were praying for, and he took him. I have no idea how the ball went through his legs, but it did. Uh, Clive, uh, I, I feel you have something to say on this. Well, it was bad timing, too, because Tierney was about to come on. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's all I wanted to say. I mean, it, it, it's... It was um Zinchenko is a wonderful player, right? But he tackles like a midfielder. He hasn't got that last man gene in him, right? So, and and Tien is you know, much more serious. He's a more of a defensive fullback, and mm-hmm. he has that. He has that. You're not going to beat me, Gene. Zinchenko tries to nick it, steal it, he, and that's that's fine. He's, he's he's a brilliant player, technical tackler, right? So, um, but he was flog he was flagging. And um, Arteta saw it, and that's why Tierney was standing there waiting to come on when the goal was conceded. <laughs> and it's really frustrating, really. So so here's the thing, Clive, and this is what, what I really passionately believe. This is what, look, there are games where you've got to just ride it out. You've got to defend your lead. If you look at Liverpool, Liverpool's attack is still as good as Liverpool at their absolute peak in terms of what they can throw at you. And they threw a hell of a lot at us. Salah, Nunez. Maybe not their finishing, right? But in terms of what they generate. They generate and the raw quality up in terms of Nunez, Gakpo, Salah, you know, um, uh, Firmino, you name it. Name the players. They've got, and Trent, his delivery. I think when Liverpool signals that we're going to come at you with everything we have in attack, the odds that you'll repel it aren't great. But the odds that you can get at what already is a vulnerable counterattack defense 
when they've taken off their deepest midfielder and now have no shield, and they're going to try to go with Tiago and Henderson who can't run at all, and Trent is going to be playing in your attack, your defensive third. Like, I really feel, Clive, that by by going to that system that we changed to that five, we played into their hands. And the data that we've already called out, the 29 final third passes to nine, the, the seven shots to two, we, we created a couple counters. And the couple counters we created could have been winners. But I think we could have created more and and made them think, I think, for example, Trent, if we don't take Odegaard off and we continue to have that that presence to go the other way, is Trent able to be as just exclusively committed to attacking? I don't know. So it just felt like it invited them to come find the equalizer in, in yeah, that last I, I, 10 I 10 don't minutes. link uh, Odegaard to the, the Trent side of things at all. I, I think um, I think your the point... The system, let's put it that way, yeah. going to a five and taking off a I think, And that's what's upset you, really. Let's just get to it. Right? Yeah. You, you don't mm-hmm. like the fact we went to a five. And and that's and that's fine. And, and there are many people who agree with you. I particularly don't care because I've seen us do this. I've seen us close games out like this. So this is who we are. This is who we've, we've been. And so if we'd have conceded two more goals, I'm sure someone would have said, why don't we bring another defender and go to a five? You know, you, you just you, you can't you can't win, right? So I do think there's a lesson to be learned. How do we combat teams that push us back into our half? How can we create exit strategies? And I felt in the first half we broke their structure and they didn't know what they were doing, particularly in wide areas. But I thought in the second half we broke our structure. And what I mean by that is I felt Shaka and Odegaard were very, very narrow we're very now. So what we do, we are brave. We empty the midfield very, very quickly when we have possession, particularly when we get to two passes. But we couldn't get to two passes. So when you hear me say things like get to two passes, when you get to two passes, what you can do is you can form your attacking shape. If you don't have a chance to keep the ball for the first two or three passes, you can't get into your attacking shape. You can't empty yeah. the middle. You can't get your Odegaard and Shaka into the half spaces because you can't. So if the lessons is to be learned, it's maybe we have to go to a box in there a little bit more and really create a narrow exit plan because we need to find that exit plan when teams are brave enough to push us back like they did. They were ridiculously brave. And by the way, we nearly got them a few times. I think Paul made a really, really good point earlier on. And I've done the rewatch this morning. I've got up to the point where Louis said we were flat, we, that we flattened the game out. So I want to see that mm-hmm. bit again and see what opportunities we we wasted and see how serious we took the fact that we were having a breather, how serious we took the fact that we could have had an opportunity. I, have, I can't think of anything in my mind at the moment, but I know that we we had to do better in that period. But I think they were, in the back of our minds, I think we were watching the scoreboard. I really do. We were scoreboard watching. And when I say we, I mean all of us as fans, and the coaching staff, they were watching the scoreboard and they made a call to go the negative route. You know? And I and I didn't see anybody on that pitch, apart from our key defenders, that are in control of their duels in the second half. Mm-hmm. For any length of time, they weren't. And so when you see that as a coach, you say, I'm, I'm going to defer now to something else. So if you can say to me, Elliot, that you know, even Martinelli was getting tired, Saka was disconnected from the game, Jesus was tiring. 
he looked and saw all Odegaard was below par. Shaka was you know, was steady. Party was really good. Our centre backs I thought were decent. Ben White dropped away after the book and he was passive. He was passive, you know? And so there were too many players below par. When you see that, you make a decision. Now, we're fans. We live in the world of possibility and hope. And we can think, oh, if we can get that ball into him and he can run him and he can get it forward there. But they're looking at the whole thing. They're looking at the amount of players that are under par in in that second half period. And I think they reacted to it in a way that I've seen before. So I can explain it to myself. I really can. Whether I agree with it or not, I yeah. can explain it to myself. The only pit I, I was a little bit disappointed about was not getting in on a little bit earlier. It's the only thing I'm disappointed yeah. about. And I think there are people that are really, really confused about why it was Kivior. I mean, look, let's be clear. This is where having Saliba and Tomiyasu out at the same time is really hard. Because, you know, if Saliba was starting, it'd be Holding coming on there. If Saliba wasn't starting, it was Holding starting. Tamiyasu would be coming on there. We'd feel very differently. I think it's harsh on Kivior in the sense that I don't know that Kivior himself has any responsibility in us not, you know, being able to hold on to the lead there. He has one, you know, bad challenge where he strides out and clatters guy and doesn't get to the ball, but like it doesn't lead to a goal. The the goal they do score doesn't come from his involvement. Um I think you could have brought on Tierney there to play alongside Zinchenko at left center back and moved Gabriel to center center back. And that that's an option. And then, you know, maybe Gabriel's in the position to mark Fabinho. I, you know, I mean, it's it's a really good cross and Fabinho stretches his head to it. It's really good. The, the problem I have with focusing on the goal they did score is they could have scored 40 others. <laughs> and so like, this is the thing, Paul, we've got to, got to, got to give praise to, to Aaron Ramsdale. There is this thing you do. Let me let me put use I statements. There's a thing I do where your attacking players being good is good, but your defensive players being good means the other team was good. You know what I mean? Gabriel was brilliant. What a player Gabriel is. Best center back in the league for me right now. Thought he was great. Aaron Ramsdale, I mean, sometimes we lionize simple saves. You have to make the simple saves because sometimes the way you lose a game is you let one go through your legs. I mean, look at the goal. Um, the goal was it Spurs? Yeah, I think it was Spurs. Right? They concede one where he's going down in stages, like he just can't get to it. Um, you know, sometimes you let the easy one in, but he didn't let the easy one in. He didn't let the hard one in. He every single thing that he had any hope to God to get to, he got to. Um, and I think it was his quality in 1v1s. I know Darwin Nunez probably didn't hit it with the conviction he would have liked, but it's because Ramsdale's just there. I thought both keepers were excellent, by the way. Allison is a sweeper, but Ramsdale saves, and the one where it ricochets off Gabriel and he, he claws it out of the top corner is phenomenal. Um, he doesn't save the penalty, but I think the fact that he's maybe going the right way, when the keeper guesses the right way, the player puts a little more oomph on it and it goes around the post. C- can we give Aaron Ramsdale some praise because I do agree with Clive in this respect. A loss here is devastating psychologically, especially from the 2-0 position. A draw at Anfield, where, by the way, City didn't manage it, is a creditable result, and we only got it because because of Ramsdale's heroics, really. Yeah. Look, I wouldn't want to take any credit away from Mo Salah on the penalty. I think he gets all of the credit 
for, for uh, missing. But, yeah, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I think Ramsdale goes the right side because he waits so long after Salah has taken the shot. He can he actually sees which way it's gone. Um, Ramsdale was fantastic in this game. He's a very young goalkeeper, and as long as they don't have traumatic experiences. Their decision-making should get better over time. I think his decision-making this year, especially in the second half of this season, maybe it's just I'm starting to clock it game after game. His decision-making on the 1v1s, just uh, as, I, as I said on the instant reaction, I'm not an expert in goalkeeping matters. Uh, you know, I'm no, is it John Harrison who does the analytics of the goalkeeping uh, I did think that was odd because I'm not actually an expert on outfield play either, but I felt it important to make that distinction on the goalkeeping. Um, it just looks right. It looks like he's making... Stop laughing so much, Clive. <laughs> just because one one of us here might actually know something about the outfield. Um, but uh, yeah, if you could scrub that afterwards, Elliot. Nope. Um, <laughs> uh, it just looks like he's making the right decisions 1v1, closing those spaces down. I think I used the phrase blocking out the sunlight as he did against that Salah, Salah chance uh, where um, he comes out and just closes it down. It must have been the first half and Salah. I felt he had uh, an angle to get it to the near post, but when you saw from behind, there's just no daylight he's left as he's got out there to Salah. He, he'd have to do some genius chip over uh, Ramsdale. And even there, Ramsdale stayed big on it. So when he, when he comes out, like he puts a hell... Look, with, with Nunez, you got to put pressure on him so that he doesn't get the good shot. You, you know what you're dealing with there. You got to get out quick. You got to close down the space um, and force him into a quick decision. And he does that. And he gets his arm down low under himself so that he blocks it as the ball's about to go under his body. Decision after decision, um, like the save with the 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 curler to the far post from Salah that comes off Gabriel's backside for the extra deflection. That's got all the arc and lift on on his leap. Um, he kind of takes that stutter step to go over there, like he does almost on that uh, the Leicester City kick, uh, what was it, last season against Madison, uh, where he gets that extra step in and the the diving arced save. He's just everywhere. And then his instincts at the end to block the Kanate thing, as, as Clive said, Tierney makes a big contribution to putting pressure on Kanate. Just move after move, um, he snuffs it out with his 1v1s. He was fantastic. I think Gabrielle and himself were huge. Uh, and Ramsdale, of course, had the cameras on him at those key moments. Yeah. Um, and, and a big part of it. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. And, and I'm, I got to say, in the moment, I felt the penalty was a penalty, a soft penalty, but a penalty. Um, and look, if you just want to go by what a penalty is in the Premier League, you know, Matoma getting his ankle and his foot stamped on in the box yeah. wasn't a like it's been a wretched season of refereeing, and that was that was a low point. I hated reason, that penalty, but yeah, I think I, it's one you got to say. Well, th they give those, and and you got to realize Jota's what job clever, is going to do to you, right? Of course, yeah. he's clever. I don't think Holding does anything wrong per se. He gets caught up with him, but here's the point: I'm so glad it's missed because. 
I'm glad that we don't have to spend today talking about a refereeing decision deciding this game. This game was decided on the pitch. We were dominant for a period. They were dominant for a period. Now, I know, Clive, you feel the refereeing played a role. It always does. They got homer refereeing. I feel a little reluctant to to push that too much also because, to be fair, we won the home game with a penalty that's a little on the soft side. So I I don't think refereeing ultimately is the story of this game. Um, by the way, b- before we move to a couple other bits and pieces from this and what it actually means, do you want to add to the the Ramsdale Love Fest? I mean, it it certainly warrants at least a mention to say brilliant, well done, bravo, chapeau. Yeah. Big I, mentality I like, too, right? Yeah, yeah. I like his um, speed of hands and speed of feet. So on the Salah one, he gets in two little, he gets two little start steps in so he can get closer to it. I mean, man, you got to have quick feet to do that. And just looking at John Harrison's Twitter account now, he's saying that the Canate one was only a 16% chain, uh, save chance. And he makes that save because he doesn't give up on it. And, I, and again, these are things, these are details that proper goalkeeper analysis, <laughs> they, they find out, you know, and, um, but for me, I just like his, I like, I like his speed and presence. His one-on-one presence has really gone up. But I just, I love his fast hands and fast feet. You know, he's light. He can, he can stick it where you want. You know, I, I just, I just really like him as a keeper. Well, I, I did have an opportunity to get close to goalkeepers once, just watching around. Fair enough. It's switch town goalkeepers watching them train, and when you see them close up, you realize how slim and agile, almost like gymnasts, they are. Incredible physiques. It doesn't come across so much when you see them on the pitch amongst other professionals. When you see them close up together, what goalkeepers used to be, even thinking back to David Seaman and people like that, that's not what they are now. They are live athletes, and we've got one of the best in our goal at 24. And he had his day in the sun on TV. So eventually, hopefully, people outside of Arsenal, I'm thinking England here, will start to recognise it's time for a change very, very quickly in, our, in, our, in, in the England goal because he, he's providing a lot of what the current incumbent just is not providing. I just feel like being England's number one can only break you and can't make you. So I'm happy keeping him out of that spotlight. Um, I want to heap some praise on another player, but uh, Paul, last, last, last thing on that. Yeah, look, he enjoyed that game so much yesterday. He was having the bloody time of his life. And we've seen many... That makes one of us. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But we've seen so many keepers for us, for other teams, like just the stress starts to build and the mood... Like, how did we manage to survive that onslaught in the second half? In part because we didn't go into an emotional shell where we we felt like we were just getting battered. We might have been getting battered, but we were still... There was a lot of players out on that pitch who were enjoying it, having fun, no matter how tough... And yeah, uh, I, I, I his wanna, mentality is big. I want to praise another one of them because, because well, Clive, it's hard because the last thing you see a player do in a match is often the thing that stays with you. The last thing we saw Gabriel Martinelli do in this match is not get the ball to Bukayo Saka in a position where he could have potentially rounded Allison and won the game. Now, a couple things to be clear about here. First of all, he's he looks shattered. His legs are gone. He does play the pass. Allison does really well to get out to it. And maybe the reason he has the time to get out to it is that he delays the pass too much. 
even if the pass is on time, and even if it's in the right place, Saka still has to find a way past a really good keeper and score it. So the idea that it was just a fait accompli that we win the game if he makes that pass, I think he's overstating it. And it's led to people being very frustrated with Martinelli. So I think it's only fair to say, what a special player. Because I thought he was our best player. For the stretches where we were a factor in the game, I thought he was the story. His goal is taken beautifully. It's an intelligent run into space. He gets a little fortunate with Rick Shade's goal. His... His pace down the left-hand side and the cross he delivers for Jesus makes that look very easy. There's a number of times he gets away and gets fouled. There was one where he should have been away, had his shirt pulled. The irony is, in my mind, you know the one I'm talking about, right? Where he gets pulled back, he's away. Is it, it's not Trent that pulls him back. Is it Kanate that pulls him back? Kanate, yeah, I think so. he gets a yellow card for it. And, And in my mind, I was thinking of the one, remember when Shaka got a red card on the halfway line? There was a part of me that was like, you know, he's gone if you don't pull him back there. Um, but like he was just, he was really, really good. And he's shown up in big games, right? He had the goal again at Old Trafford that should have been allowed. Wasn't he at the opening goal against Liverpool in the reverse fixture? He scored or had an assist against Spurs. Like he's, he's just been good. He was good in this game. And I think it's unfortunate that, that that last moment is maybe what we take from it. Cause I, I think he's been great. He's our top scorer and he deserves a little credit for this game. You know? Yeah, I don't. I don't take anything about last moment. Um, we don't have any of the uh, the hope and joy of the first half without him. He was our best outfield player in the first half, and um, we were along with Jesus. And I thought they were both really impactful and they held their shape beautifully. I thought he carried the ball bravely. He takes it where it's going to hurt you, but he can stop and play make as well. The accuracy of that cross was just unbelievable. You know, and, um, that's a huge step forward for him. On the on the last pass, he just gets his first touch slightly wrong. If you can do that in two rather than three, then yeah. I think we're in business. It's all about your first touch. The first touch wasn't quite right, so you thought you had to take a second touch. And then then the pass became more predictable and the angle slightly changed. And and that's all that happened. And if he got his first touch right, does it in two, mate, it's all over and we are having a Bournemouth moment all over again. Right? So um so did we deserve that? Probably not. Um, I'd rather save that luck for another day, maybe at the Etihad. <laughs> you know? um, and, and so, yeah, I, I've got nothing but praise for him. And Jesus has come back in. He's kept his performance high. When Trossard was in, he kept his performance high. I thought Trossard's touch to lay off to him was unbelievable, by the way. <clears throat> and it was, a, it was a temptation in me to just give it to him because he was fresh. He was straight back, you mean? Yeah, get back to Trossard and say, go on, you create something. Because that guy is a he makes so many right decisions. He would create the right pass. I don't know what it was, mm. but he would make sure he manipulated the ball to create a chance that may have been different. I felt, if anything, because it was just staring you in the face, I felt we were a bit over eager to go into Saka. We could have built that a little bit. And wonder, and we, who knows what would have happened? But hey, look, that's just, that's just nitpicking. But I always give it to the sub who's fresh. I'll pop it straight to him. They go, and I'll just get up behind him. And say, do, do what you got. Do what you got to do. You know what I mean? And um, but hey, look, it's easy from the city, right? So um, but yeah, Martinelli, Elliot, I know he's your boy. I know you do. You yeah, like yes. Do. I'm waiting for you to do a podcast purely on Martinelli. Um, Same then. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, what he's doing now. The, I, I keep saying the two twenty-nine-year-olds, but they're not kids anymore, are they? They are really no. landing amongst top players and shaking them in their boots. 
Yeah, and, and in big moments. And by the way, there, you know, even under the cosh, there were some really fun, exciting moments of quality from Arsenal. There was the Jesus flick to Martinelli, the no-look flick, you know, back of his foot to send him away. Jesus had an unbelievable, like, hold-up play moment where he takes the ball out of the sky with, I think it's Van Dyke on his back. Um, Bukayo Saka, from the left, was it? has two men around him and drags back and kills them both dead and cuts it back to, if I'm going to be mad at Bukayo for anything, he's done the hard bit. And then he just instinctively slides the ball through to where he wants if Trissard to be. If I'm going to be mad at him, up, Elliot, I want to change the studs in his boots because he slipped over at two critical moments in the box in this mm. game when we've had mm. some good play. And I just want him to just <laughs> stay on your feet some. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Everything yeah. matters. Yep. Yep, so there, there was that. I mean, there, there were those big, critical moments. There was a beautiful sack across for, for Jesus to the back post, but Jesus arrives late, and it, or not arrives late, but it's just it's the ball's just slightly too deep for him to put it in. This was a, a high-level game, and Liverpool gave us everything they had, and even still, we had opportunities at the other end. Let's finish on this, though. Paul, I, I felt gutted at full time. I said that with a day to think about it, I I just, I want, we were close. We were there. It was three points that would have made this feel like it can really happen. It makes it trickier now. Good point or bad point? Good point. I mean, mm. you just, this is how seasons are. There are games like this. Um, that was... Not necessarily in terms of finishing, but that was the best Liverpool. That was full on Liverpool in the second half, and we were kind of we we scored two great goals, but we would have been awfully lucky to be two zero up at the end of the first half. And you just you know you can say, well, you're just consoling yourself. You're just kind of writing off the good to make feel right about the bad. But like, there's nobody watching that game who thinks that's an unfair score. We played our football. We played great football in the first half. And at some stage, our football didn't look as good. Well, why would that be? Um, it's not because we played the badge or we played Anfield. It's because at some stage, Anfield played us. It's a real thing. Um, and it might be so psychological for our team, but it's not psychological for their team in the sense that they played the level of football in that second half. They didn't finish the chances they had. But like they yeah. were, that was a dominant performance from them. Us coming away for, with a draw, like as you said yesterday, um, we, if City are going to be perfect, they're going to be perfect, right? And we were screwed either way, right? They, they were, they were going to get there. If they're going to win every perfect. game the rest of the season, hats off to them, right? The only other time they've done that, they were Centurions. So I, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's. And it then is there's what the mentality is. that comes from this and them. And this may be a, a uh, I don't want to go to we can only play as an underdog. We've been playing as an overdog for the whole season. But it yeah. takes a little pressure off us at just maybe the right moment in the season where in two or three games' time we'll have to pick up that pressure again if it goes well. But right now it allows us to settle down to do the next game, to learn our lessons from this. There's lots of positives from this. And we turn this around and we go again and we need – a win at Newcastle or a draw. We need a draw at the Etihad and a little bit stealth mode for us and just win all the other games. I think it's a good point and a bad point. 
right? It's a bad <clears throat> it's yeah. a bad point when you're two nil up and you don't win. Yeah. It's a good point because we couldn't lose it and we nearly did. And the fact that we didn't is going to be important. Here's the thing that happens. As Arsenal fans, we think every game is a banana skin we could lose. And every game will be easy for City. That's the state of our emotions right now. Uh, City's going to walk every game and every game we have is a banana skin we could lose. But that's not the reality. We've been better than City all season. Guess what? Every game is a banana skin for them too. And with Bayern coming up and potentially Real Madrid after that and, and a FA Cup semifinal, they're going to have their attention split. And Clive, we talked about this on the instant reaction. We could, if we win our next two, which we have to do, of course, we go to the Etihad with a nine-point lead. It just creates such a powerful narrative of City have to win this. It's all the pressure. Failing to win and Arsenal stay nine points or potentially go 12 points clear. That's that. Now, yeah, they'll have two games in hand, but it really does put a lot of pressure on them. And this idea that it's a fait accompli, we'll go to the Etihad, we won't get anything. I just don't think that's right. Because at the Etihad, you play against the team. You play the football. At, at Anfield, you play the crowd. You play the ground. You play the history. The Etihad's just about your football, and I think our football can match them. So I think it's a bad point when you're 2-0 up, but I think it's a critical point that we salvaged. How do you think about this in terms of now what is a very, very scary, scary run, and admittedly, but one I think we can still do, you know? Yeah, I, I think we can, as long as we, long as we learn the lessons. I mean, this game... There's an improvement on the City home game in a strange way in some regards. And because the City home game, I felt we had chances and we didn't take them. So you look at Jesus' header versus Eddie's header in the box. It just felt so comfortable. And I think we're growing in that regard. And But we, we got pushed back and we have to accept that. So... If I'm, if I'm them now, I'm looking, at, I'm looking at my exits. I'm looking at my strategy to break out. I think your point around looking at the season as a whole and where we could be in a, in a couple of weeks' time is really significant. May 26th is a big day in our history. You know, and I wonder if April 26th could be another big day in our history. You know, I do think that game, I don't think it's right. We need to go there and show them. If we want to be champions that are going to be well-regarded, points are points, but I don't want to see us do to City every single time we play them. And then if we do win it, we win it by, they make mistakes elsewhere. It's time for us to go there and, and, and do something. And I think it'll be a challenge. But Anfield is the biggest challenge and Newcastle's just a little bit behind that. You know, so it's, it's a combination of all those three games where we end up. But I see the direction as a positive one. We are still growing. We are still learning. Throw away the bad stuff. Ex find out the good stuff. Develop what Arteta did to control momentum in that first half by having those tactical breaks. That's someone who's learning. That's someone who's smart. He's working it out. We didn't quite end, end the game. Maybe a little bit of fear factor in it, to your point. We've learned that too. right? So we just go again for the next one and hopefully we'll get it right when it really, really matters in April. Well said. And I think there's some things people need to keep in mind. First of all, Saliba may come back. I think it's a credit to Rob Holding. We're not even talking about him. We went to Anfield and Rob Holding hasn't been mentioned. That's a good thing because he was fine. But Saliba's better than fine and he may be back. What if we go to the Anfield uh, to Eddie Head with Saliba? And oh, by the way, another thing we haven't really talked about that we should bear in mind, Jesus looks like a killer again. He's back. And Trissard is good, and Jesus is even a level up from that, and we've got them all. So we look strong. 
And I think we have the talent to change games, much in the same way Liverpool have talent up front to bring on, and that changed a game. I think we have the talent to change games and to boss games. I expect us to still see this Arsenal respond. We've responded all season. And if we respond in the next two games, we put an awful lot of pressure on City. And I just have this weird feeling that the Eddie had might be a big day for us. So let's... Well, I, I, I think I'm it delighted is, we're not getting overhyped this morning. That's the only... The downside is we lost some points. Can you imagine the overhype about Arsenal and, and that mentality you have to go forward with? It's just, it's a long run in to have the whole world saying we're, we basically done it when we have not done it at all. But I so, would still take the points. But just, just, yes. just to be clear, just to be clear, I take the hype and the points yeah, yeah. over the draw. But my ultimate assessment is bad point anytime you're 2 0 up and don't win. Good point that may ultimately be the point we need when it's all said and done. And we will, we will know that, you know, in the fullness of time. So I think we got to leave it there. Um, we'll do a rewatch of this for sure. So if you want to join us over on the Patreon side, you know, that money's going to a good place this month. So um, we'd love to have you over there. And then we'd love to support the fundraiser with that. And I want to just say again, how much we love you for participating in that smash the first goal, smash the second goal, heading to the, to the third goal. And again, a, a very generous anonymous donor, $20,000 he'll match uh, this week for every donation provided up to $20,000. So you give, you're giving twice. Um, and, and thank you for that. So uh, Paul's on Twitter, Pause My Pants. Thanks, Paz. Woohoo! Clive's on Twitter, Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. My name's Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. We love you. Hope we pulled apart this complex, difficult game to analyze pretty well, but we'll be doing more of it all week long and looking ahead to uh, to a couple of games that if we can win them, sets up a hell of a matchup uh, at the Etihad. So we still have that to look forward to. We love you. Who do we have next? Is Southampton? West Ham. That's right. We love you. And we will talk to you after Arsenal 10. West Ham, no. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. 
At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com 